Hi, everybody. Welcome to number 37. Yes, number 37 of our PR Masters podcast series. I'm Mark Stevens, and I'm your host, and I'm also managing partner of the Stevens Group, which is a leading facilitator of mergers and acquisitions in the PR and digital interactive space. As you probably know by now, the PR Masters podcast honors living legends in our profession, individuals who have made a mark in the world of public relations. And today's guest is somebody that I have known quite well over the years, uh, and I have the world of respect for her, and I'm so delighted that she has agreed to be our guest today on the PR Masters podcast series. She is Cheryl Proctor Rogers. Yes, I'm sure most of you know her name because she has been very active in PRSA, and uh, she is a highly respected PR professional. And she's got more than 40 years of experience as a communications and business strategist. And she is a high energy, I can tell you that personally because I know her. She's got high energy, she's dynamic, and she is a professional with a track record of success. Currently, she's working with senior executives in a variety of business, government, and nonprofit sectors around the world. She is currently a senior consultant and executive coach for A Step Ahead PR Consulting and Coaching, where she resides and works in Chicago. And it is a global practice, and she is a subject matter expert, and she develops and implements strategies in crisis communications, strategic planning, change management, internal communications, and media relations. She has also worked with a variety of corporations on the inside as a uh, chief corporate communications officer in a number of business sectors. Uh, for, she's worked with companies, for example, like HBO, Nielsen Marketing Research, and Golden State Mutual Life Insurance Company. And as a consultant, she's also implemented strategies and designed training for clients like Coca-Cola, Nissan, Allstate, McDonald's, Sears, and so on. She is the 2006 National President and CEO of the Public Relations Society of America. And in 2000, she was the youngest inducted into the PRSA's College of Fellows. She's also the 2011 PRSA Gold Anvil recipient, which is the society's highest individual award presented to an individual whose work significantly advanced the profession and set high standards for the practice of public relations. So it is my pleasure to welcome a good friend and a wonderful PR professional, Cheryl Proctor-Rogers. Cheryl, how are you today? I am fabulous. Thank you so much for this invitation, Art, to have a conversation with you. I'm looking well, it, forward to it. It is a to pleasure it. to have a conversation with you. We may have a few other people listening to us, but let's pretend it's just you and I, you know, uh, having coffee together and just kind of recounting some of the things that some of the fabulous things that you've done in your career. Okay, so. First of all, you are definitely, and don't be shy and modest, but you are definitely considered a legend in the public relations industry. And your, your contributions to corporate communications and to PRSA will always be a part of your legacy, Cheryl. So tell, tell us how you first got started in public relations and how you segued into top roles within the companies that you served. Wow. Art, really, you know, the legends – are all of those public relations professionals that were trailblazers that came before me. 
And these are the people who mentored me, supported me, much like yourself, and opened doors for me. I was actually introduced to public relations when I was an administrative assistant in the sales and marketing department of Sperry Univac, which is now Unisys, right after college. I was a strong writer, and I began editing, of course, the sales proposals I was actually given to type. And then because of my, I would say, assertive personality, I started offering insights into how the sales representatives might position the company in a way that would really drive sales. And so as a result, I was invited to strategy sessions and was considered an asset to the department. It was really my supervisor, and I must say her name, Sue Valley, that recommended to the head of PR at the headquarters in Pennsylvania that I might be considered for a position in the PR department. Now, I didn't know anything about PR at the time. I I was actually heading to Los Angeles to join my boyfriend and later husband, um, Michael Proctor. So I turned down that opportunity and never thought about it again until I sent my resume to an insurance company in Los Angeles and got a call from a senior executive who said, yeah, you sent your resume in to our administrative department, but they sent it to me because they felt like you would be best suited for my department. And I said, well, what is your department? And he said, public relations. So that's when I decided to surrender and find out more about this profession, and I accepted the position, and the rest, they say, is history. (laughs) Wow. Is it amazing how so many of us got into public relations without initially knowing what it really was? But we we sure learned, didn't we? (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) So so let me ask you this. So – how 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 did you adjust to uh, working in this industry? What did you think about it then, and uh, and how has that changed over the years, uh, given where we are today? Well, I think that um, I will blame this on my on my parents. Um, they were quite. Um, uh, we learned a lot about being curious and. Um, being lifelong learners from home. So when I first accepted the position as a publications coordinator in the PR department, I immediately looked for opportunities to um, hone my skills and learn more about this whole arena of public relations. I asked my boss and got permission to go through the professional designation program in public relations at the UCLA Extension. And that was a two-year program. And because I was not married at the time, had no children, I completed that program in about eight months. Simultaneously, I joined public relations organizations like the Publicity Club of Los Angeles, Um, the Public Relations Society, and some others. And so this helped me really to have 
foundation of understanding about the profession. So um, that was very exciting. So how, how did how did you get into you know the the top rungs of the corporate ladder? Uh, uh, obviously, you had to be uh, ambitious, you know, and uh, courageous, uh, and and obviously uh, ready to move on to whatever next position came your way. How did you segue to the top level jobs in in, in some really major American corporations? You know, that's a very interesting question, Art. And when I think about it, throughout my career, I all. I was always building on my capabilities, um, either through um, advanced degrees. I have an MBA and a Master of Arts in Leadership and Change Management. I also, much like the certification um, and designation in public relations from UCLA, I sought other certifications and credentials and, you know, got my APR as soon (laughs) as I um, um, hit that five-year mark, then you had to have five years of experience. And so I was fortunate enough to really have a career plan that included, you know, having mentors and really expanding my network. So because I was, I remained curious and I was pretty much aware of the trends in the industry, whenever I had an opportunity to speak to executives at the insurance company, I was speaking more about what was happening in the business of insurance and how public relations and marketing could assist in helping them meet their business goals than I was about specific public relations tactics. So I became really active in a variety of these PR organizations that I mentioned, and that really provided me with a great deal of access to the leaders in our profession. And those leaders helped to start mentoring me, and because I was active in a lot of these organizations, not just a member, but signing up for pretty visible strategic roles, it demonstrated to those who were watching, and that's what I also learned, that somebody's always watching you. It really helped me to demonstrate my strategic thinking and my capabilities in a in a way that really helped them say, hmm, let me pay attention to her, um, not only at the insurance company, but externally um, as well. So these were the kinds of of the foundational things that I was putting in place, uh, not because I knew what I was doing at the time, Art. It's just the learner in me (laughs) and the overachiever um, gave me those opportunities to be invited to meetings that had nothing to do with public relations. Very, very smart, very smart. You know, you used the word uh, a few moments ago to describe yourself. Uh, you used the word assertive, um, and it just it, it, it does occur to me that this is a word that uh, the top professionals in our industry would also use to describe themselves. 
were you always assertive, or did you learn to become assertive because you felt that this was a trait that was vital to your ultimate success? You know, that's really funny because I'm actually working on a memoir right now, and um, I had a, a an assistant writer who actually interviewed my parents, and... Uh, uh, uh. That was one of the questions that came up, Art. You know, has she always been assertive? And their response was yes, because I had never asked them that question, you know. And they said yes from the time before she could walk. (laughs) And as soon as she was able to talk, she was always asserting her point of view and asking to do things that – were beyond her her years. So I think that this is a part of my personality, and I was fortunate enough to have parents and to, um, I would say, have a community or network around me that supported me and helped guide me. And so that's what I attribute any level of success in that area to that network and that support system. Let's take one of the major corporations that you worked for, uh, Cheryl. One of them was HBO, well-known to everybody. Um, How did you get recruited? Were you recruited for the top job? And if not, did you work your your way up into that organization? If you did, how? Who did you report to? And what are some of the things you did there? I know that's four or five questions in a row. I just... (laughs) aimed at you, but uh, let's start with how you got to HBO. Well, it goes back to the network. So, Art, I want you to imagine, okay, I just landed in Chicago, and one of the first things that I want to do is to connect with the Chicago chapter of PRSA. And so I do so. And Assertive Cheryl reaches out to the president of the chapter, you know, we must have lunch. I want to know about everything that's going on in the marketplace. Um, I have been recruited by uh, Nielsen um, Marketing Research when I lived in Los Angeles, so that's how I got to Chicago. Um, And that's another networking story. Um, So I was – having this conversation with the president of the Chicago chapter, and he suggested that I reach out and meet the president of the Black Public Relations Society in Chicago. And her name was Chelsea Burroughs. And so we connected. She was the regional director for HBO. And so we struck up a friendship And shortly after she um, and I met, she was promoted and relocated to HBO in New York. And so as a result, there was an opening position there in in the Chicago office, and she was sure that I was overqualified for the position but wanted to hire me as a consultant until they filled the role. And so I started um, actually with HBO as a client for um, uh, nearly a year um, when the 
um, a vice president of communications for HBO reached out to me and offered me the opportunity to come on board. Start thinking about how to expand um, the brand reputation of HBO into these markets in a way that um, we hadn't in the past. So how did you do that? How did you expand the brand into those markets? Well, again, using the network, use being assertive, you know, making cold calls to potential partners um, with a compelling um, story to tell, and you know, it didn't it didn't hurt that I was um, calling on behalf of HBO, which was certainly a um, a bombshell of a. Um, organization at the time, um, doing everything from sports. If you recall, they were um, broadcasting all the Wimbledon matches. Um, They were um, the leader in developing original programming, not only um, movies, but um, series. So it was just as a result of just packaging and creating Um, opportunities for win-win with those organizations that allowed me to expand um, the activities that we were doing in the Midwest and in the West um, uh, and also to increase the media attention that we were getting around the programming and the actual strategies that were coming out of New York. But you started out as as somebody who was, you know, asked to fill in as an outside consultant uh, during a period of time that they were contemplating, you know, hiring someone someone else. What do you think made them change their minds and uh, and in, and uh, turn to you? Uh, what, in other words, what were you able to demonstrate to them and accomplish, which obviously is a key question because this is something you've demonstrated throughout your professional life as to why you should be the one and not somebody else. So why did they turn to you? Well, what was shared with me was my ability to um, persuade um, organizations that a partnership with the, with HBO uh, would be a, a win-win also to that I was a pretty good listener and that I gathered all of the information and sought research to support my ideas and that I was always measuring and evaluating and talking about how or sharing with them, you know, what I thought worked well, what we could have improved on, and how it really connected to the overall mission and brand reputation of HBO. And pretty much everything that I implemented on their behalf, Art, really aligned with the, you know, it's not um, it's not just television, it's HBO. So I created initiatives that were very unusual and that disrupted your thinking and had you to take a double look. Um, And so everything from 
the invitations that were created to um, how I promoted or worked with the team to promote a, a, a new series or, or movie. And so I also learned that they appreciated the creativity of the way that I utilized traditional communications tools to really create um, some interest and awareness around the HBO brand. And it was fun. I enjoyed it quite It sounds a bit. like a lot of fun. It was a great brand to work with, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, Cheryl, you – you obviously decided to change course uh, in in a way. Um, I'm sure you're still working with obviously senior executives and what have you in your in your relatively new initiative. I I don't know how long you've been involved with it, but t- tell us why you decided to do what you do and and uh, and form a step ahead PR consulting and coaching. Um, it's a little different from what you did before, but obviously you 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 bring all of your capabilities and and your experience to this new initiative. Tell us about it. Hmm. So I'm not quite sure what you mean because I established a step ahead public relations in 1986. Oh, for some reason, uh, Cheryl, I thought it was a new initiative. So uh, when you say you established it in 1986, so you were doing that at the same time that you were working in the corporate sector? No, as a result of all of the partnerships that I um, created when I was with Golden State, um, Anheuser-Busch, Coca-Cola, Baskin-Robbins, and um, McDonald's and others, uh, again, people are always watching. And so the marketing directors um, of Coca-Cola and Anheuser-Busch um, invited me to breakfast one morning and suggested that if I started my own PR firm, um, that they would be very supportive and that they would be my first clients. And so ah, that's how ah. I came to start uh, A Step Ahead back in 1986. Wow, wow, wow. wow. And so there were three occasions when I suspected Suspended the firm to actually go into an organization. The first was when I moved from Los Angeles to, back to Chicago. I'm a native of Chicago um, to create a PR department for Nielsen Marketing Research. Ah, uh, okay. And Got then it. the next time I suspended my practice, I thought it would just be for a couple of years, is when. I accepted the position with HBO, and that ended up being a nine-year um, <laughs> so that was relationship. A, a nine-year hiatus for a step-ahead PR. I, I know. I just it, there's so many things. I mean, it was just such an, a wonderful time for television, and you know, all of the programming was just taking off, you know, Sex in the City, Sopranos, um, yeah, From the yeah. Earth to the Moon, you know, Band of Brothers. And so to be a part of those groundbreaking um, stories uh, was just hard to, you know, like say, let me get back well, to my business. Um, but I eventually yeah, did. 
took you nine years, right? <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. the same, I um, a recruiter called about um, creating a public relations uh, department, a proactive public relations and communications department for DePaul University. Um, and I said, oh, no, let me refer a couple of people. And, oh, they, you know, he, the president really wants to talk to you. Um, and I said, okay, I'll talk to the president. And, of course, Dr. Holt Snyder was very charming and persuasive. And um, so I did suspend my um, my practice again to um, – create the PR and communications department at DePaul University. And so Art, about, hmm, I would say maybe 10 years or so ago now, um, I started getting more requests for executive coaching. Um, In the early, the late 80s, um, I was working with um, IBM with my firm, and the executive at IBM said to me, you know, I looked at your brochure, but you don't have executive coaching on here or leadership coaching. And I said, I, that's not what I do. I'm a public relations person. And he was the one who first planted that seed for me. And he said, no, you're a trusted advisor and you're an executive coach. You need to put that in your brochure. So <laughs> the next iteration of the brochure, I added it with not much thought, actually, Art, (laughs) but this was a a public relations um, professional that I trusted, and I trusted his judgment, and I had heard that from others. Um, So fast forward to about 10 years ago when this this coaching profession was emerging as a true profession. I started getting more requests for just coaching. So, you know, they'd ask for a meeting. I'd come in. I had looked at their website and done all of my homework. I was ready to talk about what public relations or business strategies I felt a step ahead could help them with. And they would like, oh, no, 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 no. I want you to coach me. I want you to help me think through how best to transition what we're doing now as a major corporation and to create a different culture. And I thought, wow, okay, so you don't want me to help you with the transformation. You want me to just help you think through it. And I thought, wow, you just want my brain? Okay. (laughs) And so, so, Art, the more requests I got, for that, that was when I hit the pause button, and much like I did when I first started in public relations, and said, okay, what is this executive coaching really all about? Um, I looked at the International Coaching Federation and looked at the fact that they had, much like PRSA, they had standards, they had ethics, um, they had a credentialing, and they were the premier organization that was helping to shape um, the profession of coaching. So I sought some accredited um, coach training programs and took those, and I'll tell you, the first 
couple of classes, I was very nervous because remember, I've had I've had this on my <laughs> on my brochure for a while and part of my resume. Um, but I was very relieved to learn that what I had been doing for more than 25 years was indeed coaching. Mm-hmm. And I then, um, as I got more and more clients um, just wanting coaching, that's when I added um, and coaching to the name of my firm. So how has that changed your life, Cheryl? Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, <laughs> when you do things with intention and purpose, it transforms how you show up in the world. And for me, just going through the coach training, coaching executives, fine-tuning my coaching skills really helped me to see the world a lot differently. I started being, I found that I was a lot more judgmental than I thought. Um, That while I was always sharing with others that they should not be trapped by confirmation bias. Step outside of your comfort zone. Um, In essence, I was just doing that, um, just not full out. And so just um, becoming a coach and helping uh, senior executives, CEOs um, on their journey um, has really created a, just a different way that I view the world now, and um, it's quite exciting, actually. So the people you coach, are they generally the CEOs or, or, or top uh, executives of, the, of, the, of corporations? Yes. Um, C-suite, I would say. I have okay. had some occasions to... Um, coach uh, senior leaders in the VP spot, Um, but that was, I grew up in that arena um, with my first job in public relations, just working a lot with senior executives. So that's where I'm most comfortable. That's, I always say, those those C-suite executives are the ones who raised me, you know, (laughs) In, in, in the business world. So And because I chose to be a generalist and work across a lot of different business sectors, I bring um, a pretty global mindset um, to to our conversations. Cheryl, um, you have been in and around the world of corporate communications now, you know, for a good part of your career. we live in a different world now, and uh, uh, I, I guess what I wanted to find out from you, your thoughts on this, is how has corporate communications changed since you first established your presence in it uh, to where it is today? Has it changed? Is it the same? Um, what's your view on that? Well, I think there are some fundamental things that have remained the same. Um, when you think about... Um, the public relations professional, um, you know, we want to bring value. And so that's always been the underpinning of everything that we do. How do I bring value? 
Um, so I don't really believe that has changed much uh, for our profession and what's needed in um, the corporate setting. Um, but how we do that today and as we move into the future, I think has, is going to is changing and will continue to change dramatically. You know, I recently was reading an article um, from McKinsey, and I felt like, hmm, this really nails it. Um, they were talking about value for organizations and how how do you create value. And one of the things that they noted was creating value is the new frontier for the business world. And so what came up for me when I read that is what can we expect in a post-COVID world? Some some of us are so focused on just getting through COVID and, you know, trying to figure out how to keep um, – at-home workers engaged, how to reduce uh, screen fatigue from all of these Zoom calls. Um, But I'm wondering what corporations and what public relations professionals are doing now to think about what's next. And, you know, what are we learning now that will create this new frontier? And what, what might that look like? Uh, and do as a public relations professional, I'm asking myself as and and as an executive coach, uh, do I have the skills and the capabilities to help organizations navigate these new frontiers? And if I haven't even thought about what they might be, how will I even know if I have the tools? And then the other thing that McKinsey talked about was creating value. Um, in the processes that um, execute a vision of customer experiences. And that struck me because I thought, wow, I've been doing this for 40 years, and we talk about customer engagement, but this was a different term that I hadn't used a lot, customer experience. And and how does how does that differ from everything we've done in the past. And then finally, McKinsey talked about building foundational capabilities that support the entire structure of an organization. (laughs) And I think for um, corporations, they are going to have to start thinking just very differently. The leaders are going to have to think differently. Um, um, if, if you don't mind, I, I, I just want to share with you, I'm currently serving on this global n- 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 uh, nominating committee for the International Coaching Federation. And we're discuss- discussing a lot of these new competencies for board members. And so, you know, many of those competencies that we were looking at are fundamental capabilities for the future public relations professionals as well as any organization, whether it's nonprofit, corporate, or um, government. And that's having a digital mindset. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I don't know about you, Art, but when I launched my PR career 40 years ago, 
I, I understood the value of research, you know, to support my strategies and, and help to bring some credibility for my ideas. But today, a basic understanding of research isn't enough. And so the, I believe the PR professional at any level within the organization where you enter or senior must understand how to gather and process data manage and review all these algorithms. I'm still trying to learn and you know <laughs> and get a grapple on that and have a basic understanding of statistics. And you know, and then also having a global mindset. You know, we've got to expand our thinking beyond our borders, not just Chicago, Illinois, the rest of the world, but when we're functioning as a public relations professional to start thinking beyond public relations, what's happening in finance, what's happening in HR, and understanding the challenges that they're facing, what's happening in the legal counsel, you know, um, what kinds of cases and, and legal issues are they facing, and how can public relations um, integrate and collaborate to uh, impact the entire organization. I know I said a lot, but I just I'm so passionate about that. Oh, it's clear how passionate you are about that subject. Without without question. Um, you know, speaking of being passionate about a, a subject, I wanted to ask you also uh uh what what your view is on on the uh, uh you know, the role of diversity particularly in the in the PR workplace. Um are you satisfied with its progress? Do you think more needs to be done. What's your general view on, on diversity in the PR uh, industry? Hmm. Well, as you know, Art, I have been very um, involved in the question of diversity in PRSA and in um, the profession. And I would say that the good news, right, is that we're having more conversations about race and diversity. And the bad news is, is that we're having more conversations <laughs> about <laughs> race and diversity and inclusion. And so what I mean is having been a part of this discourse and creating opportunities um, I think it's important for us to move beyond talk and action. And I think it's really important for us to recognize um, some of the gains that we're making. Um, you know, I'm tired of, you know, seeing uh, where it's still relevant on my bio, you know, all of these firsts. First African-American do this, first to do this, first, you know. So, you know, when we are still saying this is the first African-American, this is the first Hispanic, this is the first, you know, when we get to the point where we're no longer, that's no longer the reality, I think that we'll know then that we've really made some strides. Mm. Well said, well said. You know, you, you volunteer a lot of your time, obviously, as you indicated, 
to other organizations and causes. Um, how do you find time to do it all, and, and why why is doing that still so important to you? Oh, my. Um, again, I think that uh, <laughs> I think it goes back to how I was raised, seeing my parents um, volunteer their time, um, you know, investing in, in my community, whether it's uh, civically or in my professional community, uh, that's one of the single most important things I believe I can do uh, as a human. Um, it, it, it really motivates me. It brings joy to my heart when I'm, I'm giving in that way. Um, so how do I fit it all in? <laughs> you know, those who know me well say, I know how she fits it in because she is a stickler for organization, and I am. I am extremely organized, and um, I actually gave up on the notion of multitasking years ago. So <laughs> I find I get a lot more done when I don't allow interruptions of course, unless it's fire, flood, or death, then yes, you can interrupt me. Um, and and when I have no more than five things to do on my things to do list each day, <laughs> and I I'm I'm a stickler for blocking time, so I set aside time, days, and time blocks each week for my volunteer work. And I'm not trying to do something else while I'm doing that. So you're getting 110% of me for that hour or that two hours um, and for anything else that I'm doing. And so I find that I'm able to get a lot more done um, because I have those boundaries set. And my friends know to call me after 8 or 9 p.m., because I also have that dinner time and shortly after blocked for my family. So, you know, I'm really a stickler about organizing my life that way. Um, do things come up? Is there an occasion for fire, flood, or death? Absolutely. Um, but because there are, I'm accomplishing so many things on that things to do list that when those things those speed bumps happen and they will I'm able to pivot pretty quickly and then pivot back well you've you've actually anticipated a question that I was going to ask you and that is how would you describe your style of management and you describe it so well uh so it's on to my next question Cheryl I just have a few more questions before we have to end this uh, charming and delightful conversation, um, the, what, my first question uh, is uh, on that note: Is what, what are your outside interests? You know, obviously you are very busy and you block out your time, as you've described. But w what hobbies and avocations and cultural preferences, that kind of thing? What do you do in your so-called private life? Wow. Well, I work hard, art. And I play hard. <laughs> I yes, indeed. So I love golf, and so when the weather cooperates, I'm on the golf course. 
Um, I love to travel. I travel around the world. Um, sometimes I'm, you know, I'm invited to speak in Africa or Armenia or China, and um, so that gives me an opportunity to see the world as well. Um, but, uh, you know, we take family vacations. I'm really lucky because, you know, up until COVID, each year, because I have two daughters, I would take a vacation, just a mom and daughter vacation with each girl, and then I would take a vacation just with my husband, Terry, and then we'd take a family vacation. So I got four vacations a year. (laughs) And I love to cook. Sounds like you managed to block out that time very well. (laughs) Absolutely. And I love to cook. It's therapeutic. And... I'm just a lifelong learner, and I, I'm always reading, probably have two or three books I'm reading at once. I've got two more questions for you, Cheryl. Um, the first of the two questions is, how how do you want to be remembered? Hmm. How do I want to be remembered? Hmm. Okay, I want to be remembered as someone who embraced change, sought adventure, and left things better than I found them. That's a wonderful answer. Wonderful answer. Okay, well, that leads then to my final question, and that is, you know, You've got a ways to go in your wonderful life, Cheryl. So, where do you where do you see yourself in the years ahead? What do you want to be doing? Oh my God! Exactly what I'm doing now: <laughs> working hard and playing hard. But I do want to do more writing. Ah, so okay. I feel like I have a couple of books in me, and I'm working on this memoir right now. Um, um, that's really based on what I feel are the four C's for soft landings in life. And that's, um, you know, having a career plan, um, focusing on your capabilities, um, having a personal cabinet to help you be accountable and help you navigate uh, the world, and then finally investing in your community. Yeah. So I, I just feel like in addition to what I'm doing now, which I, I feel like I live a charm life, um, I'll do more writing. Well, Cheryl Proctor Rogers, all I can tell you as a, as an old friend and colleague, this is why you have always put a smile on my face every time I have seen you. Uh, and uh, particularly, you know, at PRSA, where we've met very often at very, the, the various conferences, and I've seen you across the room, uh, it, you always put a smile on my face as I walk toward you to say hello and give you give you a big hug, and and let you know that you are one of my favorite people in the world. You have accomplished a great deal, and it has been my pleasure and joy to have this conversation with you today on PR Masters. So, Cheryl Proctor Rogers, thank you so much for being with us today. Art, thank you so much, and please give my best to Faye Shapiro. I certainly will. I certainly will. 
Faye has worked with me to put these PR Masters podcasts together, and uh, uh, and we have the opportunity to, to talk to, and I will use the word, even if you back away from it, to talk to legends like you who have made a tremendous impact on the world of public relations and make it such a wonderful profession for all of us. So thank you for being with us today. And I'd like to thank all of you listening in today for joining us and sharing uh, your listening time with us. And uh, we hope to see you soon again with another PR legend in our continuing series of PR Masters. So thanks again for tuning into our PR Masters podcast series today. And until next time, I am Art Stevens, wishing you all the very, very best.